Welcome, welcome, welcome to Building a Black Educated Pipeline podcast. I am your host, Shana Terrell, educated activist dedicated to the lifelong struggle of freedom and liberation for my people. You have come to the place where we talk to real people in the real struggle doing the real work. Check out this blast from the past episode from our season one live stream conversations. You may notice the sound quality may be a little different, but that's okay. We wanted to make sure you experience this gem from our archives. Now enjoy our season one conversation. So y'all know we have a super special guest today. My girl, Dr. Goldie Muhammad. Dr. Goldie Muhammad is Associate Professor of Literacy, Language, and Culture at the University of Illinois at Chicago. She studies Black historical excellence within educational communities with the goal of reframing culture and instruction today. She is the author of the best-selling book. I know y'all out there. I know y'all got it. Cultivating Genius an equity model for culturally historically responsive literacy. So everybody, please welcome to Building a Black Educated Pipeline, Dr. Godi Muhammad. Welcome, Doc. Hey, sis. How you doing? I, mean, I am good. How are you? I'm feeling good. I'm so grateful to be with you. And um, I'm just, I'm happy. I'm healthy. You know, I'm breathing. I'm here. <laughs> you blessed, okay? <laughs> I hear that. Listen, I didn't want to mispronounce your name, but I think that is important that people know your name. So can you pronounce your first name for us? Yes, my name is Golnassar. Um, Golnassar is um, a Persian name and it means the sharing of beautiful flowers. That's dope. So out there, <laughs> yeah, we call it Goldie, but Golnassar. Um, <laughs> put some respect on my sister's name, okay? <laughs> <laughs> But we appreciate you being here today. So we really want to um, get into the topic of cultivating genius and um, building a Black educator pipeline. Because in this space, we really try to create a space where educators, parents, community can come together and share ideas and talking about how we can band together and build the Black educator pipeline. Um, and a lot of your work um, is a great basis and a great resource for how we do that. But I always start with talking to my guests about sharing their educational journey. What inspired you to be an educator? Um, I love the way it made me feel and made other people feel. Uh, in short, um, I, I from as early as I can remember, I wanted to be an educator. I wanted to, you know, inspire others, inspire myself, make the world better. I think the triumphs of the world and the problems of the world ha has in both inspired me to be a teacher because I wanted to make the world better and I wanted to share the beauty that already exists. Um, you know, when I say I love the way education makes me feel, it's very fulfilling and joy giving to me. The act of creation, design, art, that's what education feels like to me. And as many artists would agree, it is a, a wholeness of fulfillment when you create something and then teach it. And so it feels, it gives me peace. It gives me calm. It, it gives me this type of energy that is very hard to describe. But I love what it does for other people. When I see the inspirations of students and as we're teaching and learning together, um, it is a beautiful thing. And I can't think of anything more beautiful than the act of education and building a better humanity and a better world for all. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy and blessed to be able to do something I love 
and to do something that I've always dreamed about, dreamt about doing since I was a child and to see it, um, you know, to see what education does for our communities, our lives, it's just a joyful thing. So I'm just happy that I'm able to continue working, um, building curriculum and pedagogies and experiences for communities, for our children and families, for adults, other teachers. It just doesn't stop. Your description of it is so beautiful. Um, <laughs> a lot of times we get folks on the show when they talk about these trials and tribulations, right? Like they had to get here. Like no one even talking to them about the career. No one exposing them to it. Or some people didn't even realize they wanted to be teachers. So they were like in a whole nother career. Um, yeah. And I, and I think that's cool, too. You know, I, I think we come into ourselves in different um, entry points. And I, I don't think that one is better than the other. I think, you know, I have a best friend who was in corporate America and marketing, and she's like one of the best teachers I know. And sometimes, but she also takes that experience from like previous careers and brings it into how we should be thinking about education and, and teaching and leading. And so I think, um, and it doesn't mean I, I you know, I, I certainly have my moments where I'm crying, <laughs> yes. um, you know, even when I was a student teacher driving home from my student teaching crying. And, you know, I, I have moments where, I mean, this has certainly not been an easy road, um, but I, you know, we learn from those moments and we grow and we embrace the moments where we're <laughs> driving home crying as well. Um, to continue to build us and to sustain us. So it comes, you know, this work is special, but it also has to come with knowing as, you know, Dr. Cynthia Dillard always says, who we are and whose we are. Mm. Because this, it, this work of education can get heavy. It can get overwhelming. You know, it can get, uh, it can wear you out, feel like you're just ready to give up. And so- yeah. You know, I, I know for me, knowing who I am and constantly working at myself um, and knowing whose I belong to, those are the two things. And that constant striving for those two has kept me, sustained me and kept me um, and kept me in this field. Um, that in addition to my faith, of course. Yes, I love that, um, especially the whose we are, like who we belong to. Um we generally have a guest, well, Dr. Carr, um, Dr. Greg Carr of Howard University is on every Thursday, every last Thursday um, of the month. And he always talks about like knowing your place in the world, like your historical memory, your historical context. So knowing who you are, knowing whose you are, I think is super important to ground us in the work. I think that's an amazing perspective to have because the days you feel like giving up and the days you're tired, you know who you belong to. So you know why you're here. Um exactly. And, and while we're again conditioned and it's our mission to be in this work so mm -hmm. i just love that you love it like listening to you describe it i was like oh, i just feel so like fulfilled like this is beautiful because you hear so many negative narratives about being a teacher in education so to hear your love and joy for it is is just amazing um yeah yeah and i i hope it always stays that way not just for me but for all of us i want us to always have joy in what we do we all deserve it Amen. Shout out to you. And a lot of your work is grounded in um, literacy. So mm -hmm. 
I'm really curious to see why is it important to put a Black perspective on, on the literacy work that you do? So, you know, I received my PhD in literacy. And when I stepped into graduate studies, it was a different um, way of conceptualizing and defining literacy. You know, being in K-12 schools prior to my graduate studies, you know, when every when someone thought of literacy, they thought of reading mostly. Yep. Maybe writing too, reading and writing skills. Uh, literacy was just um, teaching children mostly how to read. Uh, literacy was preparing them to not just read but perform well on the on the tests. That's uh, literacy was captured in that way. And when I entered graduate school and I started to study how Black folks define literacy over time, it became more expansive than just mm. capturing it in these minimum ways as skill development, test prep. And, you know, I learned that for Black folks, not just in the United States, but globally, literacy was connected to self-empowerment, self-determination, self-reliance, self-liberation. It was much more than just learning how to read. It was reading, writing, thinking, speaking, listening, meaning making. It was double dutch. It was dance. It was movement. It was sound. It was creation. It was art. It was music. It was like all these beautiful things. It was the tool to tools to liberate one's mind, one's community. It was just, it was so beautifully expansive. And I said, uh, this is the kind of literacy I need to see in K-12 schools. Mm -hmm. And it was still the skills, you know, black folks still define literacy as, you know, a set of skills to develop, to learn, um, to learn language and, and to, to pass the test, if you want to say it that way. Right. Like we were still doing that, but we were doing all these things connected to life. Literacy was about our life, our and longevity. That you learned in, in studying with the, um, the Black literary societies, correct? Yeah, studying Black literary societies of the 19th century, Black schools, Black newspapers, um, Black media, Black culture. Uh, I learned that literacy was just so much more. And I wanted to capture this historic past to sort of rethink and reframe how we approach education and literacy development today in and outside of uh, schools. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of where it all started, really taking this, this Black historical excellence and using it as a model to educate all of us. Yeah. And see, you you like really focus on historical. And I want to like really tease this out a little bit because I think it's super important in a world where we're continuously talking about culturally responsive, um, culturally responsive pedagogy or being culturally proficient. There's a lot of emphasis put on cultural. But I don't think it was by accident that your framework states that is historically and culturally. Right. Like it's both. Yeah. Why not just stick with cultural? Why did you intentionally put in um, historical um, into your framework? You know, cultural is one of those words that we can ask five people, what it what does it mean to be cultural? What is culture? And we will have five different definitions. Some people um, don't 
a fully they want to say cultural because they don't want to say racial. Mm, <laughs> there you go. With me, but I don't want to say the word racial. Um, but cultural is racial. Uh, cultural is like a ways of living life. It can be gender. It can be sexuality. It can be religion. It can be a lot of different mm. ways that people live their life and under uh, participate in the world. Um, so I think it's important to first understand cultural. Um, but cultural alone does not really hit hint to like where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. I wanted specifically to to go back in history and to state that this is historically something. We need to go back. Um, we're not doing something. Uh, <laughs> There's something going on that's not the most excellent forms, right, when it comes to education and literacy. There's something happening that we're not meeting the potential of all students. We're losing teachers. We're not meeting the potential of all teachers. And so I wanted to be very clear that we need to be a bit more historical to, to go back to the past, to understand it, to be better today. And so I wanted... um I put the the term historical in my framework to know where it comes from. And particularly, you know, it comes from blackness. It comes from black communities. And um, and if we if we learned, I started to learn from our ancestors and I'm like, well, they were doing more in the 19th century, in the early 1800s than we're doing in schools today. That's right. They were more advanced. So it's almost like to be innovative and better, we have to be historical. <laughs> right? Yes, but you, yeah. you are preaching that. You are preaching that because I think a lot of times we have amnesia. Um, and I think a lot of times we forget um, who our ancestors were and what they did. And again, who we came from, even if you push it all the way back to ancient Kemet, right? Like, yeah. of course we were historically advanced and a lot of times we just we're gonna reinvent the wheel we're gonna forget who we are we're gonna forget who we belong to right <laughs> and yeah. try to go ahead and do something completely different but i love and so appreciate the fact that you are very intentional when you talk about historical um mm-hmm. and what that means to the work because i think a lot of times right it's things become a buzzword right so and I'm not saying culturally proficient or culturally relevant or culturally responsive pedagogy isn't the way to go, but we see over time it becomes whitewashed and it becomes a a, a, a thing to do, right? It becomes the buzzword. But I think putting historical in there also, to me, it spoke something different in terms of folks who are not um, of African descent or aren't Black folks who are accessing your framework. Yeah. Like, and it people- also, it also, sorry to cut you, sis. Mm-hmm. It also reminds us as teachers, you have to study the history of your students. You can't That's just you going where I was going. We was going yeah, right there. So we can't we- have like this, you know, <laughs> black women connection here. Because, you know, what are their histories? Even their histories with mathematics and science, do that have they fallen in love with it like you have? What are their ancestral histories, their language histories? You know. Uh, we history informs what we should be doing today. Exactly. And so studying who students are and their their histories and their identities and their liberation and liberatory histories, their wellness histories, all these things, that's only going to make us better teachers. 
And I love that. Even the word liberatory history, right? Because we all know we per, we educate current education, right? So even what I'm saying, we, it's current education, current K through 12, how they indoctrinate black students, right? We start from a de- deficit perspective. So even when right. you talk about liberation, right? Liberation implies like someone locked me down, right? I wasn't all, I wasn't born a slave. My history didn't start here. Um, and I love how you say to get to know students, you have to know their historical background. Because yeah. I think a lot of times when you just use culture, when we just are speaking of culture and people are thinking about culture, people are thinking about what's in front of them yes. um, or what people deem as black culture, right? Like yeah. I know my students, I know the neighborhood they come from. Um, so when I'm looking at a test, if I just switch the name out so they can relate to the name, that's me being culturally relevant, right? Those very <laughs> just what people see as what they think is tangible, but it's like, you really don't know this kid. You don't know this kid beyond them coming in your classroom. You don't know this kid beyond, I want to say beyond their neighborhood, but not even their neighborhood, from the streets you see coming to and from work, right? That yeah. is how you you know this exactly. child. Exactly. Um, but when you talk about the historical perspective and what it is to really know a child, and I'll go further to say, know who this child belongs to, right? <laughs> I think that it is super, super important to, um, that you place that in your framework. And I will hope that folks watching, folks who are following you and reading um, your work, understand what you meant, um, intentionally meant by placing a, a historical perspective um, on the framework. Yes. Most definitely. I appreciate that. Now, you know, like this is loaded, right? <laughs> your framework, your equity framework, like it's a lot. It's deep. It's, so a lot. it's a lot that goes into it. And I think a lot of times folks are wondering, like, what area of the framework, like, do you feel like your framework is really addressing within the classroom? Right. So if I'm a classroom teacher, what areas are your framework really addressing and getting at for me um, as a practitioner? Well, you know, I call it equitable framework, first of all, because we have to, you know, I'm very particular with words and how we, if we're on the same page of defining language the same, because so many people define equity as just mere access to something educational. Okay. I I gave you, I gave you this novel. This is equity because you had access to read it. And I'm like, it has to be something deeper than that. So I define equity as in teaching and learning practices, moving beyond skill development, mm-hmm. um, moving beyond mere access to something educationally, because in that case, everything is equitable. Because, you know, we're not holding back textbooks and books from children. Well, some districts, right? <laughs> we know some districts are holding back and banning <laughs> books. But, um, you know, this model really seeks to... Um, Uh, put teachers in a position to teach five pursuits. Uh, Pursuits is a beautiful word of our ancestors. That's not my language. Well, it is because I am them, right? And they are me. But um, it is, it's a word that they, they gave me um, in, in the teachings that uh, they offered. And pursuit is a beautiful word because it is so self-driven. It's so, uh, more purposeful and authentic. And so they they said, be in the pursuit of identity, help children to know who they are, who they're not, who they are destined to be. Teach about other lives different than them. Because if you do, maybe people, children will be less inclined to stereotype, to hurt, to harm someone else because of their Mm -hmm. identity. 
Uh, They said to be in the pursuit of those skills, those proficiencies, because when you know um, mathematics and, and reading and writing and all the science skills, you can use it to um, to put yourself in greater positions of influence and to have joy and all these things. They said, number three, be in the pursuit of new knowledge and intellectualism. Know the world, know people, places, things, current events, histories. They said, number four, be in the pursuit of criticality. Help our children to name, understand, disrupt, hurt, pain, and harm in the world, which I call oppression. Mm. Oppression can be mean mugging, (laughs) using your words to hurt, to physical violence. Oppression is on a different levels, right? Mm -hmm. But we want our children to do none of that. And then they said, be in the pursuit of joy. Help our young people to see beauty, aesthetics, truth, justice, solutions in the world. Now, as a teacher, I am rethinking my whole pedagogical experience with children because now I am creating learning experiences where children can learn and thrive in those five pursuits of the ancestors. I think that's dope. And I think you answered one of my other questions I had is like, what just makes this different? from traditional frameworks that we would either, that people are either using to service or be a disservice uh, to black children, right? Because there are a lot of pedagogical frameworks out there. We know the schools of education are, are teach, teaching teachers to teach a certain way. Uh, we have alternative cert programs. Some people are doing their own research or accessing um, just black teaching traditions. Yeah. I think using your framework, um, it goes it goes beyond those things. So I would yeah. love to hear from you. What, what do you think makes it a little different? It's certainly different than like what in many ways, like what a lot of us have um, been educated within. You know, the first thing that makes it different is it centers the genius of students. It does not center what they can't do. So many professional books on literacy and reading and mathematics is like, it starts with the deficit, what children can't do, and tries to remediate them with these empty, boring um, interventions and strategies. Mm-hmm. It is not this. This is a more rigorous intellectual approach to learning and teaching. So it starts off with genius. What is my genius as a teacher? What What's my student's genius? What can they do? And, you know, I have to say specifically for Black children, you know, we uh, we have very traditionally gotten our story started off with what we can't do or our test scores. Deficit. deficit we started our deficit. story. People were starting our stories. We were calling ourselves genius, but they were calling us at risk. You know, yep. we were calling ourselves genius and they were calling us struggling learners, non-readers. That's not what this framework does. This starts off with our genius. And even when students came into the classroom doing stuff with language, with literacy, with mathematics, that at a young age that even the adults in the building couldn't do, we still didn't recognize their genius. I mean, take like this this practice of like freestyling or braiding hair. I see mathematics. I see language use. I mean, to to create language in your mind, writers are always creating language in their minds and figuring out how to deliver it to their audience in a concise, memorable, compelling way. 
And when like our young people were freestyling in schools, they were doing that like really quickly, like boom, boom, boom. And it's such a genius way of using language. And we yep. still weren't saying that. Like, you know, you got, you are a writing skill. You have some writing skills. Even when they were cracking jokes in class, man, do you know comedians so have creative. stories? Yes, super creative. Yes. And use language and story and like to have people remember it's, you know, so we have been, we have sort of steered away from centering their genius. That's number one. So this model centers their genius. Everything, who they are, how, how they are, is genius. And, and I'm it's smiling only, because you see the good in young people. Yeah. Right? Like I just, you see it. Um, and people look at our young folks, especially nowadays, and only see the bad. And even some of the things that you're talking about, people see the negative in that. You are here freestyling. You need to go in that classroom and open a book. Or and you they just complain about it. They complain <laughs> when, when students do struggle, they complain. I said, you know, every time I go to the doctor, I'm not comparing students to being sick or anything like that. But as a professional doctor, my doctor doesn't complain or blame my parents. She just helps me. <laughs> you know, like even this level of complaining when students struggle, just help them. That's your one job. It's yeah. just to help them and to uh, nurture and water and cultivate their genius. Really, that's what it's about. But, you know, to go back to the comparison of the model to, you know, traditional classrooms, traditional classrooms were teaching one fifths. 20%. We've been operating at a 20% proficiency level as an educational system. Mm. And we have been expecting children to achieve at 100% levels. Mm. You know, you had policy like No Child Left Behind that said by 2014, we'll have 100% proficiency as we are continuing to operate at 20%. It does not align. So we have been teaching, measuring, assessing skills that oftentimes has been decontextualized to students' histories, their identities, um, their liberation, their multiple uh, literacy practices. And we have been expecting a higher uh, level or rate of achievement um, so this model is more 100%. All five will teach the whole child. It will connect it to their lives, which connects to purposeful and meaningful teaching. It also teaches the lives of others. It teaches social justice and equity. It teaches how to make humanity better. Um, it teaches joy. It teaches the things that we need to do as adults to, to not just survive systems in our jobs, but to thrive. You know, we, uh, Maya Angelou said that. She says, I'm not, um, you know, I'm, I'm par par paraphrasing, but she says, I'm not, you know, just trying to survive. She says, I'm trying to thrive. I'm trying to laugh. I'm trying to dance and experience right. joy. And that's what I want for our children. I don't want them just to survive K-12 education. I want them to thrive. And I want them to laugh and dance and have joy. And I want to pause real quick. Why joy, right? Because you see tons of frameworks and pedagogy, like they don't talk about students having joy or joy in learning. Why is there an, an intentional focus, once again, on your part to talk about joy as a part of the framework? Why is that so important for Black students to experience joy? Listen, joy is something that we all need and we are probably trying to claim and reclaim. We have one of the highest 
you know, percentages and levels of mental health illness and depression and and suicide. We got stuff going on in this country. And sometimes we have adults and children who don't experience joy. We have children K-12 who leave all of K-12 and never have experienced joy in the classroom. We have teachers been teaching for 20 years and never really experienced joy except for that first year. So joy, the way I'm conceptualizing it, only happens when we have criticality. When we only have this like, this practice of Mm anti-oppression, anti-harm. You know, I don't know, sis, if you've ever felt like in a bad mood and you like, I don't care. Nobody is going to change my mood around. I'm choosing to be upset. (laughs) And you have your friends, your family partners that say, no, you know, cheer up. Goldie is going to be okay. And I'd be like, man, uh -uh, I'm going to be in this mood. I want to, I want to be mad. I want to be big mad right now. It's like joy cannot fully enter my spirit Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I'm choosing to sort of self oppress myself, like self harm choosing to tell myself that I won't. So I'm saying this to give like this example. Joy is only really experienced when we have this um, anti-racism, anti-sexism, anti-oppression. When we're striving to um, interrupt the hurt, the harm of in society, that's when joy can really be experienced. And so when I talk about joy in my framework, I'm talking about teaching students to see beauty in the world. You know, young people, sometimes they think it's the end. They had a bad day and they (laughs) cannot see the light, right? And so we want to teach them about beauty and aesthetics and truth and solutions. The joy is the balance of the anti-oppressive work. It's the Mm -hmm. balance of the anti-racism work. And it, it, it gives like that, that, that personal fulfillment and elevation that embodiment, <laughs> you know, if you could, like that embodiment of just, yeah, we're going to be all right. And, and, I love it. and for I Black love children, it. we need it more than ever because the world has often told them and told us that we're not enough. We're not genius. We're not beautiful. Your hair is not enough. Your hoop earrings is not enough. Don't your natural hair. Don't come in here like this. Don't tell your body ain't don't enough. Don't be like this. Your body not enough. Yes. Your language and all these things. And this is why we need joy more than ever. So in our ancestors, you know, I, I just, I'm just enthralled by our people. When I see the joy that they were still claiming in... Even in the worst of conditions, Cheryl. Right? <laughs> yes. Like, how did y'all do it? What kind of hearts must you have had? Well, what heart, kind of mind, soul, community, kind of, love, support. And just wanted to help everybody. You struggling, we're going to help you. You help struggling, we're going to help you. And just to reclaim your joy, your collectivism, your spirit, like the, the laughter, the dance. I mean, how we claimed it. We could have like perished. And the joy is what kept us alive so that you and I can be born. Doc, you are here preaching today, okay? Uh, this mean, like- <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful thing. And when, people, thing. when people don't understand it, sis, and when I have to like justify and people ask me, how can I get buy-in? <laughs> I'm just like, man, I got to buy you into this? Something so beautiful? Something so necessary? 
I, it's just, it makes, when I think about our ancestors and all that they gave to make the world better, I just want to cry because it's so beautiful. And so then when people ask me or tell me like, or say hateful things to me, or when we see black women's lives getting threatened, mm-hmm. because we're just talking about joy and justice. That's it. That's and it. it just, it is like, where is the humanity? I think that's, I think that's a dope, dope perspective. And I think again, what keeps you like just so grounded in this framework and this work is like, you listen to your ancestors, like you're hearing them and you're hearing them speak and you are like imagining and like doing the work, doing the work. And I think that's why historical context is super important. Um, and you said it like, hey, these are my words. These are the words of the ancestors. <laughs> and yeah. when I'm studying them and seeing the things that they've been through, like we don't have a choice. And in every, and again, in every condition, we can study all the way back to whenever there was always joy in the work um, that our ancestors did. But I think that that's super important to have a black woman and someone like you that understands that perspective that our people deserve joy. That's who we come from. We come from joy. There's joy and love in everything we do. And in the, the point of criticality, right? When you're talking about social justice, that should be the thing that sparks the joy because that is movement towards our liberation, right? That is movement towards giving us freedom. That's movement. Like that's that's moving towards equity and being equitable for black children. So that should bring about joy. Um, yeah. But I don't know if people fully see the, the effects of your framework and like what that can do for black children. But what I saw and I saw the part of criticality, I was like, yo, this is it, right? Like, because there's a lot of different frameworks out there, but that piece is missing to help children really access and contextualize social justice and what that looks like in terms of freedom and in a classroom and in a lesson and as a practitioner, as a teacher, to be very intentional about making sure you have that work. Yes. But what's funny is like, you're like, I get tired of justifying this, right? But the, here's part of the reason. There's like two, two reasons why you have to justify it, right? Like, you're either dealing with folks who are, white practitioners um, who have zero historical context about us or our people or why. So they're, and we know that the teaching profession is um, 85% white and female. So they're trying to have these people who are in front of our babies learning and accessing about them. So they, of course, people are like, how am I out here? How am I going to get this buy-in? Or you have some black folks who just, I'm black. I don't need to be connected with kids. Like I'm black. I know what it is to be black. Like, what you mean? We have this <laughs> unspoken connection just because we black, which we all know is like, it's not necessarily true. So when you do come up against folks like this, like the I'm black folks, like I know what I'm doing. I don't need no equity framework. <laughs> yeah. And both of them need to know their abolitionist ancestors. You know, their white abolitionist ancestors. They did it. They, you know, black abolitionists, you know, they don't, uh, sometimes we don't know who we are, whose we are. <laughs> And mm-hmm. so, you know, we're speaking from spaces like folks like this and, you know, it's all folks. There's this, there's resistance on, on all sorts of sides and there's support on all different sides. But I find that it is usually um, connected to ignorance, like people just don't know and they don't choose to know. Yep. Uh, there is uh, fear, you know, um, I'm going to teaching this, these five pursuits is not going to be best for my white child. As an example, it only mm. will elevate the white children as well. I, I don't think we've been servicing any child <laughs> as best as we can in this country, if I'm being honest. That's a fact. Um, sometimes it is 
uh, like, I, I know this is important, Goldie. I just don't want to do it. That's more work. I mean, and these worksheets are, are easy and quick. And sometimes it's just pure hate. Mm-hmm. You know, I showed up doing like a, a workshop with Manhattan parents. And I said, we're going to talk about 25 joy activities you can do at home, making slime, doing like a corner for poetry, a spoken word, all these fun activities. And a parent said in the private chat, you are awful. This is awful. And I'm just like, slime and spoken word poetry and, and, and read alouds at home. It wasn't my 25 activities of joy. It was that I showed up as a black woman knowing who I am, whose I am, and all my joy, because people who hear me speak, I'm happy all the time. I, I just, I love this mm-hmm. work. And it was just hate. There's nothing, I, 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 I wouldn't even, I didn't even have to say anything for that comment to come across. And, you know, I, I understanding, I'm trying to understand the resistance, the reluctance and all these things. And I've sort of started to put it in those categories. <laughs> So that I can understand a bit, you know, who who can I help? Because if it's a lack of ignorance or fear and you're open to this work, I can teach you. We can learn together. Uh, but if you just hate me or you just hate the model just because it came from black history, which should be your history, too. Amen. We are one nation, as we say. Um, if it's if it's hate, I, I don't know how to change your heart and make you love me. And I don't understand why you don't love me, because. I am sunshine and yeah, light. I am beauty. I am light. Okay. You know, it's like, I don't get it, but I'm not also going to spend so much time trying to figure you out in your hate. I'm just going to, nope. you know, continue to put out kindness and love into the world because that's my only responsibility. Amen to that. And I, I mean, that's facts because I mean, with that hatred in your heart, that's some self work you have to do. So you can't spend your time trying to change somebody's, um, change someone's heart. All you can do is be you. All you can do is do what you're doing. But to be hating on me because I'm talking about slime and poetry, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what, what was happening. Like, that's one of those, like, well, who puts in your cornflakes? Because it's slime and it's poetry. And we talk about kids. an oppressive history or something. <laughs> Like, what, did it, what did it do to you? Let's hear about this, right? Like that's that's insane. That's insane. I don't know. Maybe they were slimed as a child. I don't know. <laughs> trigger. It was a trigger. Yeah, <laughs> somebody talking about poetry corners. Well, you're right. All you can do is continue to put out love, continue to put out joy, and continue to be a serious force to be reckoned with and advocate for Black children. Um. Yes. Another thing that I think is important for us to highlight, because you know this, right? Like when we have teachers in front of kids, they all came from somewhere, meaning there was a teacher prep program they went through. There was some alternative cert program they went through. They came from somewhere with their teaching, learning and training. What are some practices, concepts, ideas or even courses that you feel like needs to be addressed within these programs uh, for our pre-service teachers, even prior to accessing your uh your five pursuits. What are some of the things schools of education or some of these all cert programs should be doing to prepare our teachers? Oh, that's a great question. Now, I was a part of this wonderful uh, program called Golden Apple of Illinois, where they take high school seniors or high school juniors, I think, and they start preparing them to be a teacher in high school. It's a beautiful thing. And they, they teach them um, 
uh, from some of the world's leading educators. And it's a lot of, you almost do your student teaching like your freshman year of high school. <laughs> you already in the classroom with children. I love that that concept. Hmm. So I would, I would really suggest people look into that. But, you know, in terms of teacher preparation and programs, I think we first have to decide what kind of teacher or teacher candidate do we want to leave our program? We never really, you know, I've been in teacher ed programs on the other side as a professor now for nine years. And what kind of um, student do we want to cultivate? We want mm -hmm. them to leave our program knowing this, this, and this. Like for me, if I could dream a bit, I want um, our candidates to leave our program knowing how to write curriculum and lesson and unit plans from scratch. I want them to, um, to leave to critique the pedagogies. I want them to leave knowing policies and how to understand it and to contribute ideas to it. I want them to leave um, knowing um, how to teach identity um, skills, intellectualism, criticality, and joy, and how to assess it. I want them to have a whole class on just the self, right? Um, this is something that I suggested for Georgia State University, and they now have a whole class of like the self, where they spend time exploring their own histories, identities, uh, oppressions, uh, oppressive thinking, ideologies, and uh, how their upbringing, um, what conditioned their own thinking around justice and equity and all these things. I think we need a, a whole class on that, but then it needs to be spread out for every course. You know, let's move away from the one diversity course or multicultural literature course or mm -hmm. um, equity course. Uh, that Those are all of our classes. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times both K-12 schools and teacher education programs don't adopt models, pedagogical models that will frame each of the syllabi. They don't have like sort of rubrics, for lack of a better word, of how syllabi should be written in terms mm. of equity and anti-racism. We need that. You know, I, I posted on Twitter uh, maybe last week, like the questions I ask myself when I'm planning my own syllabi. Um, and it's not that are culturally and historically responsive questions. Um, we need, um, so I also use my model when I create all my syllabi. I want to know how am I helping my college students know something about themselves, learn skills of teaching or writing, learn intellectualism, no criticality, no joy. Because mm. I noticed like, well, you're saying that K-12 students need this, Goldie, do you bring it into your classrooms in the college level? So I'm very intentional about joy now in my um, college courses, my undergrad and graduate courses. And I think we need some kind of framework that builds all of the program courses. What so that is that framework? I hear new books. I hear new books. Is that what I hear? You hear new books and new work? That's I what I hear so books inside of me. <laughs> but they're inside of me. But until then, I'm doing the work. You know, I'm not waiting yes. for the book. I have to do the work now and talk about the work. So, you know, I would love 
I would love teacher ed programs to feel like, you know, music programs and fashion design programs. I spend a lot of time recently studying these programs. Um, and it is more of an artistic creation development. Even when you get into those programs, you got to know how to do something. So yes. nobody, everybody doesn't get to get into the teacher ed program. <laughs> you yes. have to audition your, your genius. I want to see your creativity around pedagogy before you come in. And everybody doesn't get to leave. You know, we have to think about the exit criteria. Sometimes we give ATPA and that's it. ATPA mm. is not centered on justice and equity and criticality and joy and identity. Mm. So we have to change those practices and learn from uh, those more creative artistic programs if we want this to be a more creative artistic uh, profession, which is okay. my hope. Um and also, let's let's start teaching them about the the politics of teaching. And most universities are doing this, but those structures, how uh, curriculum is designed, those publishing companies, like let's teach them the economics, the politics, the structural and systemic things, um, the historical things. We this is uh, already in a lot of programs already. You know how we got here. Mm -hmm. And when we change up the methods courses, let's not just do methods for skill development, but methods for identity, methods for joy, methods for criticality. So those are some of my ideas. If I, I start a teacher ed program. Yes, yes. people in this space, we always talk about teacher prep and, and how they fail um, our teachers. So to get some like real concrete ways on teacher education programs, how they can flip this thing um, is amazing. Now, mm -hmm. Before you were the guy, the Dr. Goldie, right? Before you were who you were, I am pretty sure you were a steward of someone's work. So I would love to hear like, who, who are your inspirations? Who inspired you to like create this equity framework to be who you are? Like whose work were you stewarding uh, before you actually came into your own? Mm. You know, I mean, so if I start with the ancestors, you know, I did this um, sort of like self-reflective activity. And I, I encourage everyone to do it. I said, who am I and whose am I? Like to go back to what we said at the very beginning. And I said, I am a leader who keeps going back and, 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 and going for the children, <laughs> fighting for the children. I am a conductor. I am Harriet Tubman. I, you know, I started to... And then I said, let me keep going. I said, like, I'm a doer of my word. That's that's a quote from Maria Stewart in the in the 1830s. So I almost started making a list of who I am and whose I am. And I pulled these quotes from these black women um, who, you know, were doing what I who helped me to be a better teacher. People like Mary McLeod Bethune, she was like an instructional coach, a principal. She started her own school for black girls. I started Black Girls Right. I'm like, this is me. And she was my inspiration of doing this. So I think it's a really great activity or practice for us to all do. But, you know, so many of our ancestors from the from the literary societies, but also the readers and writers and thinkers and doers of the word um, during that time, um, certainly, you know, scholars like um, Cynthia Dillard, um, Gloria Lassing Billings, Joyce King, um, 
you know, black women of that generation who I observe, um, Elaine Richardson, who were, you know, taking the work and doing it and then sort of transforming it their own way. You know, I would, Dr. E is from um, Ohio State, and I would see how she would not lose herself in her writing. I felt like I knew her and I was meeting her without ever meeting her at first. Um, Yolanda Celia Ruiz, Bettina Love, um, Maisha Wynn, um, uh, uh, many of them are black women. Um, and I watch them and I see how they move in, in, in not in the world, in academia, in their scholarship. And it just started to teach me. I mean, I felt like I was in community with them, but I was also mm. learning from them because we are each other's models and mentors. Um, and also the children and uh, so many people, so many scholars today, it's just so hard to name, just reading their work. And Jamila Liscott, I love this sister. I mean, I love how she moves in the world. And she teaches me too, uh, how to take care of myself. Like when I see her joy, I'm like, okay, I'm with that. I want joy too. You know, like we, we are models for each other. And like I said, in addition to the children, one thing that I do as a teacher educator is that I am finding time to teach children. I teach every summer children, but I teach throughout the year. I volunteer teach in teachers' classrooms, even if it's just 55 minutes. Goldie, say it again. You doing what now? I, I cannot be a teacher leader if I don't teach. I cannot be a teacher oh, educator if I don't teach children. Because how would I know people. what to say? Or, Tell or the people. Teachers. Yes. That's and so important. It's so important because that's my inspiration. I listen to them. What do you need? Who do you are? How does the curriculum make you feel? Are you joyful? Do you know? Do you want to learn about race and justice? Do you want to know about making the world? They are, I listen and I learn from them. I, as I'm teaching them, as they're teaching me, you know, it's a, you know, reciprocal relationship. And um, yeah, we, um, they're, they're my inspiration. Just looking at them. I'm like, yeah, I got to keep going. I got to keep doing this and do it better and better. And when you, when you know more and, and you do more, when you know better, you do better. That's kind of like what I do. I mean, certainly I, I know more than what I knew, you know, even when I wrote Cultivating Genius. And, and that's that's the beauty of education. It, it just allows you to keep being ascending and elevating yourself. I'm learning, I, I agree completely. Thank you for shouting out those names and talking about the basically the shoulders of the giants that you stand on. But the other thing to point out is, um, I love this. Right, most of the people you name were black women, and and the the sisterhood that is is in that is beautiful. I think a lot of times, you know, you can very easily see people as your competition or try to outdo people, but for the fact that you guys are investing in each other, um, mm-hmm. and you see a sisterhood in each other's work and you're learning from each other, I think is absolutely beautiful. But you also just drop some gems of some names of some people that we all need to go look up and follow and, <laughs> and read um, as well. We have a segment on the show called Think a Black Teacher. Um, and I think that is important for everybody who comes across because, you know, our teachers are unsung heroes um, a lot of the times. And we've all had teachers who past, present, who are very influential in our lives and that we love. So I would love for you to take some time to just think a black teacher. Well, if I can think one black teacher, um, I'm going to go to Miss Mead. Um, in third grade in Gary, Indiana at Bannerker Elementary School. 
Um, she was fly. She came to work fly every day. That's the first thing I always remember about her. I mean, she spent some time on her hair, makeup, and clothes. It's like, because don't when you show up, don't you, when you like have something special, don't you show up in your nice fly yourself? That's what she did every day for me. That was important. But she was also smart and kind and gentle and loving. And so, and she taught me and I wanted to listen. And so that... Um, you know, we have so many models and I want to be all those things. I wanted to be all those things when I became a teacher too. So that's my teacher shout out. Listen, you don't understand how being fly is important. Um, I have a daughter. Yesterday was my birthday. birthday. Thank you. And she wrote me out a birthday card and on it, she wrote like continue to be fly. Because I always say to her, like, oh, girl, you can fly. <laughs> you know, yesterday was Sister Dr. Gloria Lassing-Billing's birthday. and I share a birthday with Gloria. I didn't know that. <laughs> so you share a birthday with greatness. Yes. And she posted she was on the show like, previously, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's why. You know, she fly, too. And Definitely. She, she posted. All the November people are posting, like, the best people are born this month. <laughs> so ah. This all makes sense now. Yeah, that is amazing. I had no idea that we shared a birthday. Like now I'm out here fangirling, right? <laughs> so Yeah, happy birthday, sis. Thank you. I appreciate that. I also wanted to ask you, like, with all of this, like, I mean, you have beautiful things going on. Like you're just super dope, smart. Like your mind is amazing. Some would like literally say you are the Beyonce of education. Like don't you be saying those kind of compliments? That might go straight to my head. I was gonna say, what what are your thoughts on that? That someone's saying like that's well, no, I mean, that means I gotta, you know, that means I gotta keep working, keep putting out albums. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Your first, your number one hit was cultivating genius. Okay, we're waiting on that number two project. Yeah, that, that's a beautiful compliment. Uh- <laughs> yes, yes, some would say like Dr. Goldie, the Beyonce of education. Like, <laughs> what are your thoughts about that? About, about that, about yeah. that yeah. You know, I, you know, I'm always, um, I'm always trying to figure out, like, to step into myself. <laughs> I mean, I'm always trying to figure out what it means to step into myself. You know, um, because sometimes we see ourselves one way, and others see ourselves another way, and we mm-hmm. have to, and and we're and. I don't know how to describe it, but it's like we're supposed to be um, whoever we're supposed to be. And I'm always trying to look. The sun is like really just shining in my face. That's, That's God. God's telling you. Say the word. Well, I am trying to follow, you know, what God wants for me. And but to remain true to myself, to my faith, and my family and be humble, you know. And so. I, I think we're all Beyonce's. <laughs> we can all. We're all sunshines. And um, but I I just want to step into myself. And if myself is supposed to be something impactful and to be an influencer or to if myself is to write lesson plans for my community, um, you know, I'm ready to step into who. But because I wasn't always in that space. I'm like, oh, I can't do this. I don't know if Mm. I can do this. I don't know if I'm the person. 
But, you know, I, all I want to do is step into myself without losing myself, would keep doing, keep being accessible, keep helping my community first, keep my faith, keep my prayers, all these things. And so that's that's really like my only that's my goal for myself. And but I do listen to what people say they see in me. <laughs> Because I think we should, because sometimes people can see things that we can't see in ourselves. And Mm -hmm. so I listen. I take it in. (laughs) Well, I get the humbleness, right? Like super humble, which is appreciative. Like we're all of the Beyonce's. (laughs) Like that's (laughs) super humble um, to say. But I I just want to say, like, I appreciate you. I appreciate your work. You are definitely the definition of, of Black excellence. And I think one of the things that speaks so loudly of you and I'm appreciative of is that I feel like you are listening to our ancestors. I think a lot of times we get people who are out there who represent us and represent us as a people, um, but don't know who they are, right? They don't know who they belong to. So I appreciate that your work is grounded in that and your being is grounded in that because I think it makes the work so much more powerful. Um, and if people intentionally are studying you, who you are, and studying your work, they'll get a much better of understanding of how we should be entering this work and working with Black children, yes. for sure, and Absolutely. knowing who they are and who they belong to as well. So yes, yes. I so appreciate you for you for being you and for the work you're doing. Yes. You out here. You wow. in these streets. Thank Love you. <laughs> Definitely. Um, we are going to wrap up on time, so I just want to give you the opportunity to... Say any final words you want to say to the folks out there watching and supporting us today. Just I love you. You're, you are enough. And um, when you feel like you're not, just remember, again, who you are, who you belong to. Think of the ancestors. Think of their commitment and their endurance. Think of their joy. Um, let that be an inspiration. And... Remember when this work is too overwhelming, too stressful, where you become fatigued and you become tired, uh, remember to rest, remember to laugh, to dance, call your bestie up like I do and dream together and smile together. And, and remember the work is important, but you know we need you. We need you to be well. We need liberatory wellness within ourselves. And so I'm not just telling you all that, I tell myself that as well, because this is something I'm always striving toward. And so thank you for listening. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Goldie, for coming to visit Building the Black Educator Pipeline. This was yes. definitely a word today. You dropped some gems in here today. Peace, y'all.